back again. It is episode 93 of Our Brooklyn Bites. I'm Stephanie. I'm Leon. We had a big week this week, right? Well, yeah, a little busy. A little busy. We went to a museum mm-hmm. in Queens. That's Queens, New York. Astoria. There's other Queens? Sure. Okay. Uh, maybe people don't know the, lo- the local geography. <laughs> but maybe I need to get out of New York. More. Adjacent to Brooklyn is Queens, and within Queens is Astoria. Where this museum resides. Yes. So what did we see in this museum? A couple of interesting things. There was one major attraction, but I think there were a couple of other interesting things there, too. They had some Star Wars, some Star Trek. Yeah, as part of their... 2001 Space Odyssey scripts and stuff. Yeah, this is sort of a, you know, because based on the name, the Museum of the Moving Image, as you might imagine, there's a lot of film and... TV and uh, media, basically. History of media and entertainment and things like that. Yeah. So, a lot of movie props, a lot of costume pieces, and you know, a lot of interesting little background things. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had a lot of toys as well, based on movies. Right. So that was, that was what the Star Wars stuff was from. Mm-hmm. A lot of Star Wars and Star Trek stuff, side by side. Yeah. Uh, looked good. Actually, I was really inspired by that display because I thought, wow, this would be really cool if my action figures were displayed in this manner. All those Star Wars figures lined up? I have, a, I have a lot of loose figures. Uh-huh. And for the most part, they're just in carrying cases or, you know, Ziploc bags or something. Something not, a, not, not in a way that I can appreciate them. Yeah. And... The way they presented them on their display, I mean, of course, this is a museum and they have resources to do these things, but but it was cool because it was like a little, like, sort of stair-step type of display where things were kind of lined up. Yeah, I think you could easily do that at home. You could probably buy... What I've, I've seen people do is they sell these little um, shelving things that you put you put in your, your cabinets in yeah. the kitchen for spices. It's like a spice rack. Uh-huh. But it has, like, three little steps, you know, and you can kind of adjust the width and, and stuff. And those make perfect stands for action figures, because you can do, like, three rows of them. Mm-hmm. So that's just one way, but I've seen people use those things. We're talking about the three and three-quarter inch scale, right? Right. Yeah, yeah right now the six-inch. Well, I mean, I guess you could put Anything bigger than that, it starts well, to get a little bulky. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't work with, like, like big, like, robots or something, because mm-hmm. those are, come in different sizes. But for, like, human figures. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's just one option. I think um, nail polish racks also work well for mm-hmm. displaying loose action figures. Yeah, nice. It's a good idea. But that wasn't really the main focus of why we went there. Mm-hmm. They have a exhibit right now until September called Arcade Classics: Video Games from the Collection. Right. So apparently, they have a collection of arcade games from uh, the history of games. And uh, they had on display 30 arcade machines that range between 1971 and 1993. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them worked, some of them did not. A, a good number of them had out-of-order signs on them. <laughs> Which I kind of went into assuming that more than 50% of the games were not going to work or just broken controls. Yeah. And I was right about maybe not working, maybe not that many, but... The, most of the controls seem to work fine, mm-hmm. but um, the one game that I was super excited to want to play was not working, and that was Computer Space. Mm-hmm. They had a green 
fiberglass, uh, like that metallic-y, sparkly fiberglass yeah. cabinet of computer space, which I love. Which I is wa- which is the first arcade coin-op yeah. video game system. You know, like, yep. I, the first game that you could actually go up and play, and that was the that was released all the way back in 1971. Yeah, I've never played a working one before. I've seen them at the Classic Gaming Expo and you know here and other places, but I've never played a working one. So. Uh, I guess I'll have to wait some more. Yeah, I mean, it was it was powered on. It was, and it was running through its little attract mode, but it wasn't it wasn't playable. Yeah, I, I should should point out that there is an admission fee to get in the museum, mm-hmm. but uh, the games with with your admission fee comes four tokens, right? And then every game is one token to play, so you do have to buy additional yeah, tokens to play. Four, four tokens for a dollar. So it's to- not like a free play kind of thing. Exactly. But so if you take your kids with you that might get a little expensive, but <laughs> kids do get in at a discount. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, I found the machines that take quarters too. So. Oh, just plain quarters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, someone we were talking with someone there and he mentioned that, but I didn't know if he was just not making sense. Or... I, I did try it. Oh you did? Yeah. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> Alright, yeah, so uh that was one game that didn't work. Another game was Pong. They had the original Pong arcade mm-hmm. machine that didn't work. Um, Karate Champ was not working. Yeah, in that situation, it was the... Once again, that game comes up in a podcast discussion. Exactly. Well, it was fun to see it, because we talked about it yeah. so recently, and then we're like, well, hey, there it is. There, it was the Versus one with the two, with, it had the four joysticks on there. Yeah. And I so thought we could have played it. Mm-hmm. But the, in, the, in this case, the coin box was, was busted. Yeah, someone mashed in the, the coin uh, eject button. Yeah. So you couldn't insert... It was, like, on an angle, so you couldn't insert the coin. That's unfortunate. And then uh, the other one was taped over, so I guess, yeah. you know, that was unusable. Uh, the Mortal Kombat didn't work. Uh, but uh, there's plenty of other games that worked. Uh, pretty good selection. I think that, you know, even though only only 30, I think there were 30 of, like, the real important titles, more or less. I think at least 20 of them were, like, the quintessential arcade cabinets. They had the Qbert. You had Crazy Climber, Robotron Defender, Space Invaders, mm-hmm. Donkey Kong, uh, Centipede. Um, they even had like weird stuff like Narc. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, each game, so like you wonder like where does the museum aspect of this come in? And they had like little placards on the wall next to each arcade cabinet that told you like the year of the date of when it was developed and a little backstory on the game and right. why it's important in history. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a Double Dragon in there, which was one that I just wanted to play, but I don't know how it would fit in historically. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Dragon's Lair, surprisingly. Oh, right, there was Dragon's Lair. Uh, and that was playable. That was, but I think there was something wrong with the joystick, because I could not get a move-in, no there, matter what I did. There were too many that were just not quite working right. Like, of the ones that I played, Yeah. I tried playing Battlezone. Oh, that's right. And, 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 the, and the sticks were not working correctly like you couldn't pull back successfully most of the time um did you yeah did you try the sit down star wars arcade uh right so they had the cockpit version of star wars the arcade game i didn't try that one okay but i saw people playing it they seemed to not really have a problem with it i think the monitor was not 100 percent calibrated right on that one but it looked good enough looked a little dim that's all all right but i think it played well i guess that's common the one I had trouble with, another one, was Missile Command. Oh, did you? The, the trackball was just... 
again, it didn't go down properly. Like uh, you got stuck a little bit and you kind of yeah. had to try to force it to really move the cursor well. Uh, but I did try Centipede next to it and that played fine. Mm. That's a much smaller trackball, I guess. It's easier to keep that one working. Yeah. Yeah, the Tempest wasn't working either. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't try that one. But I, I guess I got lucky because almost all the games I tried were fine. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Well, the one that, that I was happy to see there and that was that was working great uh-huh. was, was obviously Robotron yes. 2084. It was. And that's hard to find a good working, like, with, with solid controllers. It was really flawless. The controls yeah. worked 100%. The cabinet was in great shape. I mean, every, all the cabinets were actually were, were in perfect shape for display there. Yeah, they were good. Nice uh, cabinets. But the monitor was in good shape. Everything worked just great on Robotron. And try as I might, I, 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 had, I had a few good games. But I think, I think you set the high score for the day on that machine. I did, yeah. So you told me what your score was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, on one one token, I ended up getting a score of over 500,000. Yeah. I think I got up to wave 21. Uh-huh. And that blows away any score that I've ever gotten in Robotron. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what came over me. <laughs> <laughs> but when you have a machine that works right and the, and the joysticks are calibrated correctly, yep. it makes a huge difference for, for me for as, as a player. You, uh, you proved the point right on the spot. I, I don't know how I did it. I call it luck, I'm going to say. I, I watched you play and you were doing everything right <laughs> during that game. Uh, but... And and you you thought well maybe this game's on easy mode or something. That's what I thought. Yeah, I'm like, there's no way I get this far in this game ever. But no, no, I, I played it. I played you at least back to it. I played at least six games uh-huh. on it, and it, it's you know most of them ended around in the two hundred thousands, and that's about as good as I got. Wow. So I was not cruising on that Crazy. machine. <laughs> yeah. So any any notable like. Uh, omissions in the collection? Anything you were hoping to see that you didn't see? The main one I'm thinking of is Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. First. The original. The original Pac-Man. They, they did have Ms. Pac-Man there. Right. But I thought they would have had the original Pac-Man. I was a little surprised. Mm-hmm. How about you? Anything? Um, I think they had everything I would have wanted to play, at least on a... Yeah, I mean, obviously there's always going to be something, but... I think I was I was pretty happy with the selection they had. I'll say I was surprised to see a few. There's a few machines that I was surprised to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, uh, Galaxy Force Two. Yes. Was there as like a sit down? The sit down, which I've never seen. I've seen that game, but not the sit down version in, mm-hmm. in public before. So yeah. that was really cool. Unfortunately, it was not plugged in. <laughs> that one was also out of order or yeah. not not available for play. Uh, I was also surprised to see Time Pilot. That's not that's not so common. I don't no, think. I, I don't believe it is either. Did, did they say? I didn't actually read up on that. Why that game was there? Did you check that out? Uh, I think I read it. I, it was. They just kind of briefly described it okay. as, as just um, hmm. you know like the premise of the game, but they didn't really get into why it might have yeah. been included. Uh huh. But uh, overall, good selection. I mean, it, you could always just go to the website if you want to see the list yeah, of games yeah. they have. I, I was surprised to get a working Tron cabinet that mm-hmm. worked great. It wasn't that one was not the mintest Tron cabinet I've ever seen. You know, a little rough, but it played great. It was fine. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So overall, that was kind of fun. Yeah, it was a fun day. So, as far as Pac-Man goes, <laughs> I relating to that, I was listening to Retronauts podcast. Yeah. Episode sixty-eight. They talked about Pac-Man, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So I listened to that, and this all ties in with with the arcade we went to. And I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, maybe from what they were talking about, I need to revisit some of these Pac-Man games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I really, I tend to play, like, the original most of the time, or I play um, Pac-Man 256. Yeah. That's kind of basically what I ever play. <laughs> I rarely will go back to the other ones. So I spent the day and just started going through some of those games. And uh, Pac-Land... I, you know, I always remembered Pac-Man to be a pretty bad game. I've played it in the arcade when it came out, mm-hmm. and I've played some of the home versions, and I've played in MAME, and I don't remember ever liking this game, so I gave it another chance, and I still do not like this game. <laughs> Pac-Land. I think Pac-Land is awful. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know what people see in it that might be interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I think it plays terrible. I don't think the graphics are that great. I, I don't know any. I don't see the appeal at all in that game. I would be interested to know how the game actually came about because the one thing that stands out about it is the fact that it uses the the cartoon style for the characters. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's the departure of the other games because the first side-scrolling action platformer of Pac-Man. Right, right. Whereas the other ones were all like top-down uh, dot chasers, you know. Yeah, so I was just wondering, like, is this the? Did they? Need something to tie into the cartoon series in some way, and this is what they came up with. An American cartoon series, no less. It wasn't even like a Japanese thing that they. Because it was by Namco, it wasn't from Midway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very peculiar. Uh So so that's why I'm just curious of the origin of the game, like really what brought it about. Right. But yeah, I I never was a big fan of it either. No. But I think the cartoon, I mean, only lasted two seasons, but I think it was pretty popular. Mm -hmm. It it had cereal and a bunch of other. I mean, Pac-Man was huge at that time. So maybe they were just trying to cash in a little bit. Uh, I played another one that I really really ever played, and it's called Pac-N-Pal. I don't know if a lot of people ever spend time with that one. So it's not as bad as I remembered. I remember (laughs) that one not being very good, but it's actually, it's okay. Okay. It could be worse. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. It could be worse. Did you, did you play that one? Uh, not really. No, I don't think I ever put any time into it's it. It's similar to Super Pac-Man, mm-hmm. except instead of getting keys to like unlock the little maze sections, you're getting you're flipping over these like cards, like these little playing cards. Yeah. And when you flip it over, it reveals a fruit. And then the little like maze section that has that fruit in it unlocks, and now you can go grab the fruit. Hmm. And you gotta collect all the fruits to complete the maze. There's no dots. Now, your pal in it is like this adventure of Lolo looking character. It's like this red ball or the blue ball or something. And uh, it wanders like around the maze. And um, it doesn't get harmed by the ghosts. And, or, or you can't harm it. It's kind of like your friend. So what it'll do though, it, as soon as the fruit is revealed, it will go after it and take it from mm-hmm. you. And then carry it into the ghost maze. Like the ghost little hideout thing. Yeah. And then you lose those points. Like you can't oh. redeem it. So like even though it's your friend, like it kind of works against you. <laughs> so you have to... That's more of an incentive for you to hurry up and get the fruit as soon as you unlock that little mm-hmm. you know, section in the maze. And uh, if the little pal takes the fruit from it, 
from you. You can still grab it from the little character. You just run into it and you eat the fruit. So, it's a weird little, you know, game mechanic. There's also, I don't know how this works either, but occasionally when you grab some of the fruit, you will uh, become energized, sort of, mm-hmm. and your character turns blue. And then with that, you can shoot with your... with the, You gotta actually get an action button, and you can shoot the ghosts. How peculiar. Yeah. And, like, the shoot... The, the weapon that you shoot with looks sort of like the Galaga um, alien ship that, like, fires down to, like, suck you up. Oh, it's like... like that a, little, like, wave beam thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like what your weapon looks like. So you don't actually kill the ghosts, though. You just stun them. Of sort course. of like in um, Burger Time, when you throw the salt at them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the pepper. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, it's, it's not great, but it's not as, for some reason I thought it was, like, much, much worse. <laughs> <laughs> there is an offshoot of that game that replaces your pal with, um, the character from the Pac-Man cartoon, the, your dog. Oh, weird. I, f- I forget what the dog's name is now, Spot or something like that, maybe not, <laughs> I don't know what it's called. But, yeah, there's, like, um, I don't know if it's a hack or an actual real version of it. Mm-hmm. I also played Pac-Mania. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's alright. I used to play that one in the arcade quite a bit. I thought that was pretty fun. Also known as Lego Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Lego Pac-Man. I know, it's funny. Why is that? It's, uh, it's alright. It's, it's cool, but it's hard. it's much tougher than, I think, some of the I, other. I don't think the isometric view really helps the game play too it's, much. It's hard to make those tight turns, but... Especially because you have a jump button, right? Yeah. And you have to sort of judge the distance that you're jumping over the ghost that's coming at you. Right. So a lot of times, yeah. And then some ghosts jump, too. Mm-hmm. And then they're, like, when you get to level four, stage four, you're on an incline. So if you're climbing up the maze, when you jump, your height of jump is going to be lower than what, you know, the ghost heights might be. So right. you have to sort of... Either you can't jump over them, or you have to just time it a little differently. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's alright. I'm not a big fan of that, but I feel like... I'm. So- that game did not get much console love. I don't, it didn't, you know, it was released on Nintendo, I think. I don't know what else. Mm-hmm. But, mm, I don't know. And then finally, I also pl- spent some time playing Pac-Man Championship Edition DX. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, something that everyone seems to love. And uh, I can't get into it. I played it again. And I don't know why I, people like that game. I, I don't... I don't find it fun. I don't know. It goes too fast for me, and I don't like the feeling of, like, 50 ghosts chasing me. <laughs> you don't like the feeling of it? You like your, I, Yeah, you're, I don't like that. I, yeah, it just doesn't feel comfortable. I'm out of my, my comfort zone mm-hmm. for some reason. Well, but isn't it that much more satisfying when you get the, the power pellet? No, it doesn't... No. Turn the tide against them? Uh, yeah, like when you run into that, like, 50 ghost run of, like, points and stuff. Yeah. At the same time. But yeah, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, doesn't do for me. It's not hitting those hmm. things that I like about. Yeah, I do like that game. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'd say Pac-Man Fifty Six has replaced it as my favorite Pac-Man variant. Yeah. But I still do enjoy it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I just think that it's not. I feel like to me it's overrated, but you know people seem to really love it, so it must mm-hmm. be doing something right. Well, I think it successfully updates that game in a way to sort of bring some new elements to it. Like, how do you really... A lot of these... Like, some of the games you went through, they they try different things, and yeah. some things work and some things don't. Yeah. But I think I think that one it does pretty well. Okay. There's definitely enough variation in it, because there's different 
options you can choose and mm-hmm. you know ar- arrangements and music and stuff so i kind of appreciate that it's funny that that namco did that game uh-huh. and then taito comes along and does its weird space invaders remixes at the same time too oh did they well they did you know they did infinity gene and they also did um that's right they did do that you know uh what is the name of that space invaders it's on that was on ds and, and psp oh yeah yeah uh, i don't remember <laughs> yeah those, those are pretty good I should remember what those are called because they're really fun. Yeah, I have those. Yeah, but huh, it, I don't they're also kind of similar because they kind of retain the original arcade aesthetic of those games, but they add in like a techno beat and you know, like sort of a, a club sort of feel to it. Yeah, it's um, true. A lot more music, and it's just a fun sort of vibe to to update that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it just, those are interesting. It's an interesting list of Pac-Man games you came up with. Were there any that you left out that you thought you might want to cover also? Not really. No, I was actually looking for uh, Crazy Auto. Mm-hmm. Is that the before it was Ms. Pac-Man? Yeah, right. Ms. Pac-Man game? Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't find that. I'm like, why don't I have this ROM? And so it turns out that that was not a, a ROM that's ever been dumped yet. Oh, that's surprising. There's like, you know, at least one cabinet out there because there was some YouTube video. They definitely exist. Yeah, apparently, but yeah. Um, it hasn't been dumped, so... Hmm. I, th- I think they... S- All right. I don't know the reason. Um, I saw one webpage said it was, like, illegal to dump it, but I don't huh. know. I don't know. Who knows? But, yeah. That was the only one. Hmm. So, I, I picked those four because those are four that, um, one, they talked about on the podcast, and two, uh, I never really spent that much time on them, and so I just wanted to see, like, maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like... You play games and you're in a bad mood and maybe the game doesn't feel that good. <laughs> I don't know. But I also checked out something else. I went into Steam and I loaded up the Sega Genesis uh, collection. And uh, so we were over a friend of house last weekend and he showed me how to access the workshop on Steam for the Sega Genesis games. Right, right. Yeah, yeah we talked about it on the podcast too a while ago about them adding this. Where um, they sort of made it like an open source kind of thing. So you can download like mods for your games, like different, um, uh, what were they, mods or hacks or things like that. So I tried out, I was going through it, I was t- testing out a few. I downloaded the Super Mario Brothers hack on Sega Genesis. For which game? Have you ever played that one? No. It's, is it modifying it's, an existing game? I, see, I don't know because. Or is it just an original game? It, uh, it looks to me like an original. Like, I don't see any... I mean, it looks like Super Mario Brothers. It's mm-hmm. exactly... It's amazing how it looks like the, the NES game. I never did try it. Um, but to access the game, you have to load it through Alex Kidd on the menu. Oh, all right. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, or they just picked Alex Kidd because it was the first game on the library, on the, on the shelf. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so I was playing through that. I played a couple of stages uh, and just messing around with it. And it's weird. Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's weird. It actually plays really good. I couldn't access the the minus world. That was one of my tests to see, you know, if they included that in. And it didn't seem like it. Yeah, didn't seem like that was in there. But everything else seemed identical. And uh, the music's a little bit off. Mm -hmm. I think that they probably could do a better job because I know the FM chip can do exactly what the NES chip. I'm not exact, but close enough. And uh, it was a little off. I suppose you know it's it's funny because. Um, I guess what they're doing is, if it, even if it doesn't modify an existing ROM, uh-huh. they could certainly 
create a patch that changes a ROM, and it, it doesn't have to just modify an existing game to be to be the same game but something different. It could be just it could modify a game to be a completely different game. You know, like yeah. like it's possible for the patch to completely one hundred percent rewrite the the ROM you that's being that. loaded. Yeah, there was there was maybe a few that were like that, like especially some Streets of Rage hacks, which mm-hmm. they just pretty much deleted everything and just replaced it with new characters and but they did that's that's a trick that they use on the retron 5 as well yeah like if you if you load up an ips patch for a certain game the game could be something that you don't own and therefore you're you're able to play game carts oh, that you don't okay. own on the on the original oh, I didn't system know they did that. Uh-huh. yeah so that's an interesting little thing i guess i guess they work in a similar way yeah maybe mm-hmm. actually so the space invaders game I was trying to remember was space invaders extreme that's, right. Yes. That's uh-huh. what came out on PSP and on 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 DS, and then yeah. on DS there was even an extreme too. But yeah, they should those reissue were those games. Those good. Uh, yeah, especially I feel like um, those would look nice on an HD TV. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing those back. Yeah. Where, where's Taito been up to? Have they done anything lately? Uh, is I, it Taito? 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 Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of who owns them now. I, I think they've been bought. Oh. All uh, right. <laughs> and finally, I I don't have I'm not finished with this one, but I started playing Antichamber on PC. Mm-hmm. So this is a crazy puzzle game. I'm gonna really talk about it next week because I'm still. I thought I was gonna bang it out like before the podcast. I'm like, no, no problem. I'll be finished with this in a couple hours. But uh, this game is it's a puzzle game, first person puzzle game, and it is nuts. I'm having a lot of trouble with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, one of the main problems I had, just aside from the game itself, was that it doesn't work with a controller. You have to use a keyboard and mouse. Oh, really? So, I hook up, my computer's hooked up to my TV. You know, I'm a couch PC player. So, sure. I have to, I have this like all in one keyboard touchpad sort of combo, which is not meant for games, mostly for like, just navigating menus if I have to. And, um,. I had some issues, and it, I was so I was playing this game for a good like two hours, and I'm struggling with the the mouse cursor, and I'm I'm trying to figure out well, why like why does it keep stuttering like why is it stopping and then finally after like two hours, it just stopped altogether. Well, the game froze up once it crashed. I had to restart it, but it just stopped. So now I'm like, well, well now what's going on? You know. So it turns out the batteries were dying on my <laughs> well, on my um, little like keyboard thing. So, but for some reason, like, the touchpad wouldn't work, but the keyboard worked fine. Mm-hmm. So, I guess maybe the touchpad requires more power. Could be. So, uh, yeah, so I fixed that, but then I figured, I remembered I had a Bluetooth mouse lying around, so I pulled that out, and I was like, well, let me, because I was having, even with the touchpad, I'm having a lot of trouble playing, like, a first-person, like, a portal type of game with mm-hmm. it. Oh, another issue I ran into, which is really why I pulled out the Bluetooth mouse, was it required the use of the middle button on the mouse. Oh. And the touchpad doesn't have that. It's just left and right. Yeah. So that was why I really pulled out the Bluetooth mouse. Because then I got to a point where I was like, oh, great. Now I can't go any further because I don't have a middle button on this keyboard. Oh, uh, all right. Well, I don't know if this would would have worked for this particular game. Uh-huh. But typically on a mouse that only has two buttons and you need a third button, yeah. you can fake it by pressing both buttons at the same time. Didn't work. I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I did. I Googled. I'm like, what do you do, you know, uh-huh. with which is two buttons? So, yeah, it didn't work. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, but I did the Bluetooth mouse, and it's a little weird because I have, like, the mouse on a table, 
an elevated table in front of me, and then I have the keyboard like on my leg and stuff. So, mm-hmm. it's, so and that's probably what's making this game even tougher, like trying to play it like that. But um, not enough room I've, to keep both keyboard and mouse. Yeah, on the same it's table. not the most comfortable, and it, I, some parts because it requires some precision in some some spots where you're like moving your cursor on the screen, you know, to like creating blocks and taking away. And I'll talk more about that next week, but. Um, and if you screw up, then you have to like start the puzzle over. So, yeah. So I'm gonna keep, uh, I'm gonna keep chipping away at that game. I already had to like go to YouTube videos twice <laughs> because mm-hmm. I could not figure out what I was doing wrong. Really? Yeah. So this is not looking good for me. Sounds challenging. Yeah. I don't know why. Usually I have no. Well, I usually I, I do pretty well in these puzzle games. Well, yeah, so I don't know why. You're an advanced I'm gamer. having some issues, but uh, I'll talk about when I'm done with. I should be done by next week, mm-hmm. and I'll talk about it, whether or not I have to cheat some more. <laughs> I, I s- see myself cheating a lot more and going through some walkthroughs. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that's that's where I've been all you know all over the place this week. Nice, literally. <laughs> Very good. And what about you? Did you do anything? I did play a game that's been in my queue for some time. I played Kid Dracula last month, and that reminded me that it's been a while since I've revisited the Castlevania series. So, is one month considered for a while for you? Uh, a few episodes ago, you know. Yeah, I try. I tend to mix it up. I get distracted easily. You know how it is. So many games to fl- flying around my room. I know that's that's what I find interesting of all games. You have so many games to play in your mm-hmm. library, and that sometimes you choose these like real obscure or weird ones that. I didn't see coming, like you tell me, you know, like, oh, I would never think that. Yeah, well, it's not like, it's not like uh, I prioritize them in any way. A lot of times a game will just catch my interest or my attention, uh-huh. and I kind of evaluate it in that moment to say, like, is this a game I would play, or is this, you know, not really that interesting? And sometimes if I just focus on it long enough, I'm, I'll just start playing it, and then that's it. I just get drawn into it. So... This one was more premeditated. I've been meaning to play Castlevania Three, Dracula's Curse for a long time now. It's been, I guess, what many consider their favorite NES Castlevania game, at least. Uh, so I had to see what all the fuss was about mm-hmm. and and try to try it out for myself. So naturally, this is by Konami, as much as as any of them were released in Japan on December twenty second, nineteen eighty nine. And it came to the U.S. nine months later, in September of 1990. Europe somehow didn't see a release until December 92. Wow. So. Oh, well, Europe. So they didn't get NES until later anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's not too surprising. Okay. So it did take, it did take a while, but at least they got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've always heard that, you know, one of the selling points of this game is... That the um, the music is really good, it's it's you know that's many, true with every true with true game. with most of them, but but in particular the Japanese version of this game is supposed to have an exceptional soundtrack due to the inclusion of additional sound hardware mm-hmm. in the game. So I thought, all right, if I'm going to play it, maybe I should at least play that version just to see how that uh, holds up. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up playing the Japanese version of the game. And it turns out there's more differences to the game than just the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, I played a translated ROM because I wanted to make sure that the, uh, you know, that all the story was intact. 
And of course, it's fan translated, so maybe it's not a hundred percent to what the original intent was, but. You know, and maybe it's not even 100% similar to what well, was presented in the U.S., you Yeah, know? that's what I was going to say. Shouldn't it be... They, shouldn't they just copied whatever the U.S. version text was and just paste that in there? Uh, I think I think they were going for, you know, a translation of the original. Okay. So, right. so some things are different, including some character names mm. are not a, completely the same. So... I'm gonna... I'm gonna... I'll, I'll, I guess, point those things out when I run into them. But... Um, I did play uh, a version from Vice Translations, version 1.0, just in case anyone has a, a ROM collection and wants to play the same one. That's the particular one that I went after. Uh, but the game is sort of, uh, you, get, you get, you know, once it starts up, you get this little introduction uh, presented as a film strip. So you see this kind of film strip rolling by. So kind of back to the film strip. Kind of calling back to the first game a little bit, where it kind of was almost, you know, uh, sort of an homage to movie monsters. But uh, they kind of dressed it up a little more. And it starts off with an intro explaining that 100 years before Simon Belmont, in 15th century Europe, uh, we've got... Vlad Tepes, or also known as Vlad the Impaler, a.k.a. Dracula, uh, is using dark forces to take over the known world. The Holy Church is raising an army to, to fight against him. None survived, however. So the Belmont family, or as it's known in this game, the Belmond family with a D, mm. or Belmondo, as some people translate it. Wow. <laughs> Uh, they're known vampire hunters, so they were called upon to to help out in this crisis. And you figure, well, why wouldn't they have called them in the first place? But as it, it seems like they're feared for their power, you know, I guess I guess more so than Dracula's. I guess I don't, I don't know why that would happen, but apparently they vanished, and they're thought to no longer exist. But the Pope manages to find. Ralph Belmondo. The, the Pope, okay. The Pope, the Pope, the head of the, the Holy Church. Okay. Uh, but, you know, in the U.S. version, he's not called Ralph, he's called Trevor. So Trevor Belmont mm. is is the, you know, the main character in this game. But one of the hooks about this game is, of course, is that you've got multiple playable characters. So it's not just Trevor that's available. You've got three more uh you know, player characters available that are uh, accessible in different ways. So some of them are recruitable during your playthrough, depending on who you run into and who you fight and defeat and whether you accept them into your party. And if you do accept them into your party, they're, they're kind of there as a standby character and you can switch to them at any time during the playthrough. Like during the level? During the level. Okay. Anytime you can, you can okay. press the select button and it'll summon the other character and to step in and take your place. They're they're kind of called spirits in this case, but uh, it's uh, it's it leads to some interesting mechanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the f- game starts off in what's known as uh, the village of Wallachia, which is a part of you know Eastern Europe, where Vlad the Impaler was uh, active. Uh, and now you know I sort of encounter a lot of familiar stuff. I see. Skeletons, both you know the regular skeletons and the bone throwing <laughs> variety. Uh, there's bats. Some sections have that stained glass background of the cathedral. That's you know familiar from uh, other Castlevania games. 
naturally there's collecting hearts by destroying these torches there's whip upgrades to upgrade the the whip weapon up to three levels and not shortly after that i run into the my my favorite enemy the medusa heads they're they're there uh, there's also uh, floors that are kind of clear. They look like clear glass, but when you step on them, you're fine. But if you jump, the the floor flips over. Oh, and that sounds like very annoying. Yeah, it's it can be annoying. And later on in the game, there's versions of that have that have spikes on the other end of it, so that oh, if it flips great. over, yeah. you can't even land in the same spot. <laughs> uh, but be that as may, I try to push past it. I do run into one of those uh, Rosary Cross uh, power-ups that, you know, will wipe the screen of any enemies, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't last too long. It doesn't really stop new enemies from coming in, so they continue to swarm in. Are a lot of the power-ups similar to the previous games, like the Holy Water and... Yeah, so all the weapons, all the weapons, the familiar weapons are there. Uh, Mm. You've got your dagger, you've got the the boomerang weapon, you've got the throwing axe, you've got the Holy Water... And naturally, I prefer the boomerang whenever I can. I try to hold on to that one. Usually, it's my preferred yeah, I like that one. secondary weapon to have. Um, there's also the uh, stopwatch, which will freeze enemies temporarily. But I not f- bosses, right? Yeah, usually not very effective against bosses. Down sometimes. Uh-huh. It's about the best. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I try to avoid them. I mean, it, it's funny because I get into a rhythm with the game and I start to play and I, I start to like jump and whip and keep collecting the hearts and so on but i'm always a little hesitant because i'm like i don't know if the if a new weapon's going to drop and maybe it's a weapon that i don't necessarily want but that's just part of the game it's hard to avoid you'd have to really take it step by step if you wanted to avoid that also annoying on this level are the uh notorious hopper enemies, mm-hmm. a.k.a. hunchbacks, or those flea men, depending on what version of Castlevania mm-hmm. you played in the past. Uh, it turns out this is one of the sprite enemies that have been replaced in, in the Japanese version compared to the U.S. one. In this one, they're a little more insect-like as opposed to like more hunchback-like and hmm. what was uh, more familiar. Uh, they jump around erratically and then will do a high jump like right when they're closest to you. So they're very annoying and hard to deal with. Um, those bone pillars that you know that toss the out fireball, the fireballs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those are kind of annoying, but they're pretty easy. Uh, at this point, I have the axe when I run into them first, so that's not too mu- too much of a problem. Uh, so this eventually leads to a graveyard where I encounter the first boss, who is the Skull Knight. Uh, just like a skeleton armed with a sword and a shield. Not hard to defeat. And I collect a red orb that drops. Every time you beat a boss character, this red orb drops. It's not as significant as it was in Castlevania 2. It you know, doesn't have that same kind of thing. It just signifies the end of the stage. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you collect your prize and, and, and move on. Uh, but immediately after this first stage, uh, a map is presented. And I have a choice now. Do I go up? towards the clock tower or do I go down towards the mad forest and this is one of the features of this game that you have branching pathways and really what the branches uh, lead to are different stages so you get entirely different stages depending on which way you pick and that also leads to certain encounters with these companion characters that I mentioned where you know if you want a certain character you do have to go a certain pathway in order to 
first fight them as a boss, and then eventually when you defeat them, you, you have the option for them to join with you. Uh, so this adds a lot of replay to this game in terms of, you know, there's no way, you can't encounter everything through one single playthrough. So yeah. you do have to go through a couple of different ways and, and also make those other choices. But will the storyline change depending on the path you take? Uh, you didn't really play through more than once? Well, so the bulk of the game will be different depending on which way you go. Uh, the final three stages are always the same. So they always lead back to the final oh, okay. encounter at yeah. Dracula's castle. Uh, but even after that, if you do finish the game, uh, you do get a different ending depending on oh. which companion character you had with you. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a separate ending if you keep Trevor by himself and doesn't accept any companions. That's one ending. And then there's three endings for each of the other characters, too. Mm. So, a lot of variety, a lot of options. They all play kind of differently. Um, some are, depending on what playstyle you like, some are different, you know, better than others. Uh, so, as it turns out, for this first encounter, I decide to go towards the clock tower because I like the, I like the clock tower setting. It looks, it always looks cool. And sure enough, in the clock tower stage, there's a lot of spinning gears and moving chains that look really awesome. Uh, it even keeps moving if I pause the game. I pause the game, and all the gear work mm. is keeps spinning and stuff. And it looks really awesome. I think I, they really did a good job you on that. Hypnotized, staring at the gears. Uh, no, but it would be a nice background yeah. for my desktop if I could keep it going. Uh, there's another. There's a nice effect in this stage too of a swinging pendulum, like a big giant pendulum on yeah. a clock. You could jump onto that and get across the other side. Um, I also do find uh, a number two block that drops. So there's a new, you know, Roman numeral two and a Roman numeral three block that what, will, what it does is it multiplies how many of the secondary weapons you can have on the screen at once. Uh, now, there, I, throughout this whole playthrough, I don't think I found any numeral three blocks. I think I've only found numeral two several times. So I don't know if that has anything to do with the path I took. Maybe they're only maybe they're rare and hard to find. But I didn't, I didn't have any luck finding those. Those are like hidden in bricks, right? That you smash. Usually, yeah. A wall or something. Uh huh. Like yeah, a particular brick, or maybe uh, maybe even a torch. I'm not really sure mm. if a certain torch might drop it. But uh, in the manual, they refer to them as double trouble. If you get the, the number two, I don't mm. know if that's official. But okay. Maybe Konami USA had some took some liberties with that. Yeah, they kind of always were a little goofy in their manuals, so uh-huh. it's possible. Yeah, if you get the number three, I think that's called a triple threat. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, so it definitely sounds like a throwback to the first game. It's def- the second game was a big departure. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, this is definitely more of a refinement of the, the formula they had created with the first game. Uh, so, further on in, in this stage, uh, the Medusa heads are... are, are much more aggressive here and they really have to they keep me moving because even if you clear one the next one spawns immediately and you have to and they pretty much are homing in on on my location so I have to keep moving ahead and um, I wonder if the stopwatch works against them I think that w- this would have been ha- one situation where that weapon might have been handy I don't know I, I, it doesn't last too long though so I, I doubt it's really particularly useful um, but the uh, boss encounter that I that I get to, looks like some kind of like large 
hunchback, like kind of toad man or something. Uh, I pretty much beat him pretty easily with the axe. I, had, I still had the axe weapon at this point. But he reveals to me that he is uh, someone by the name of Grant the Nasty. And he is uh, a pirate captain who was turned into a ghost. Or he's a noble thief turned into a demon by Dracula, depending on which source you believe. <laughs> when you say source, you mean like American versus Japanese? or uh, Yeah, or okay. just like... You know, whatever was written in the manual versus what the game okay. presented or what, you know, the American translation was versus the Japanese, as you mentioned. So, yeah, this is like mixed, you know, stories going around about who this guy really is. Um, but either way, he asks to join me. So I figured, why not? Let me see what this is about. <laughs> why not? Well, you know, this is one of the things that makes this game unique. The yeah. fact that you can choose a companion. So, all right, great. We shake on it and exit as the tower starts to crumble. So now I can play as Grant by pressing, you know, the select button to switch over. And he's kind of cool. He's got an infinite supply of daggers instead of the whip. So he doesn't have the whip weapon. Now what he can do is he can throw daggers. And this is another key difference between the Japanese and U.S. version of the game. The U.S. version, all he could do is stab with the dagger. He can't throw it. <laughs> but in this version of the game, he can. Mm. And that's a huge difference because, you know, now it's no longer just melee range. Now you can throw them uh, at a distance. Um, he can also stick to walls and ceilings. And he can also change direction while in midair while jumping. So you can jump up and then kind of... That's helpful. ...direct the way you go. That's one, always one of my complaints about Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Especially against the Medusa heads. It, it, it feels very stiff, right? Uh-huh. Like, like once you're committed to the action, that's it. Yeah, and you get hit and you get thrown backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's much more agile. He's a lot more controllable. Um, just the fa- mere fact that he can climb walls and walk, like crawl on the ceiling even. It's great. So what's the downside? Um, I guess the downside is that he's a little weaker mm. and doesn't do as much damage. You have to like attack a little more. But I kind of like playing as him as possible. I mean, he can even he can even reach areas and that are definitely not accessible to um, the normal playthrough. Like, you'll definitely see, like, a ledge with, like, a torch on it, and, like, there's just no way to get it there unless you were... unless you had him available. Or, you know, one of the other characters mm-hmm. as well. He also has the ability to, to get further. Um, so I use him to explore the clock tower on my way out. Uh, once you finish this area you have to actually walk back out this is really kind of one of the only stages that i remember you need to do that but i do find a one-up uh in in a hidden block so as i was exploring with him i I knocked out a block and he found an extra one-up so that was handy right away right away he kind of paved you know like paid for his Mm -hmm. his service right on that so you still have lives even though this is so. This game doesn't have the password. It has the battery backup save. Uh, but you're still relying on lives, even though you can continue as much as you want. I, I did see an option for passwords when I, you really? know, when okay. I, I I got a game over a couple of times, and I did see a password being offered as an option. So I don't really know how that part I thought works. It was battery backup. Yeah. Could right. be. Uh huh. Maybe it's both. Mm. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I I think also the passwords are uh, a way to enter like secret passwords yeah. that enable okay. these characters from the start. So you can also select these additional characters, not by playing, you know, if you want them from the beginning of the stage, mm-hmm. you can enter a certain like password a to get things. those. Yeah. 
Um, normally what happens is at the end of the game, whoever you end the, end the game as, the game that now restarts in like a plus mode where it's a little harder, and then you have that, that extra character from the start as well. Uh, but I don't know if that's retained through power off. I'm assuming it is, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's what the password is for also Mm -hmm. to kind of be able to restart the game that way. Uh, so now I move on to this new area, which part of it was presented in the previous branch off, uh, called the mad forest, but I'm a little further on in it now. And we kind of exit the clock tower, um, where, you know, because I'm in the forest now, Grant doesn't seem as useful. There's no walls for him to climb on, so I switch back to Trevor. And there's these swooping owls to deal with that pop out of the dark. There's blood skeletons that can't be permanently killed. But I do find that the cross boomerang, you know, is useful for those situations. I find that along the way, so finally I'm able to switch to that. And another branching path is presented. My choice after this is to either go up towards what look like some statues with some storm clouds over them or downwards towards a swamp. So in this case, I, I go up again. <laughs> now, it turns out if I had gone down, uh, I, I would then be on the more difficult path of the game. This is a point where the game sort of branches between what's considered the easy path versus the intermediate path. So, and, and actually the hard path as well would be also along intermediate. <laughs> um, so as it turns out, my whole playthrough was pretty much the easy, <laughs> the easy path. That was just by luck you chose? Yeah, it, just, okay. it was just a random choice. I hadn't really planned ahead of time to do it that way. But it turns out if I had gone downwards towards, uh, towards this swamp, it would have been, would have been intermediate. Huh. Because that's where you would be able to get um, uh, Alucard as... A companion and he is another one of the player characters that you can get and mm, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah i did i did play a little bit as him i had a save game that i loaded up afterwards after i was done and i tried him out a little bit okay and he's he's interesting let me just say that much uh-huh um he's got ranged weapons he can throw fireballs uh and he can also transform into a bat and he actually just does a little you see a little puff of smoke and, you know, he's not flying as a bat. So he could fly over all these obstacles. But the catch is, as he's flying, he's consuming hearts. So whatever's in your heart oh. counter, that's your fuel. Okay. That's your bat fuel. <laughs> uh, if he gets hit by an enemy or some kind of dangerous obstacle, he'll be forced back into, you know, humanoid form. Mm-hmm. But you can also use the bat form of Alucard to reach some out-of-the-way places that might not be easily accessible otherwise. Um, but yeah, so I continue towards this other other path, which um, actually leads to the other companion, eventually. Um, <laughs> so I go up and I encounter, you know, this is kind of the Mad Forest continued. I encounter these weird, like, slow-floating pink jellyfish. These are called balloon pods, or also called spook spores, depending on hmm. which source you look at. Uh, because what happens is they release spores when you hit them. So I feel these are better off just avoided. I, I run past them as much as I can. There's also spiders that, that drop from the sky and shoot mini spiders at me. Not webs, but <laughs> tinier spiders. Um, there's not really much reason to try killing them because they continually like respawn on the spot. 
So it doesn't take too long for me to get to this row of statues that was hinted at where a cyclops with a large hammer is met. And I noticed my attacks aren't really affecting him too much at first. So I realized that his eye is the vulnerable spot, right? Grant is particularly good during this fight because there's um, kind of this elevated platform that I can hop onto that kind of put me at eye level with this uh, Cyclops. And I just shoot daggers from the other side of the screen and that's it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. beat him very easily that way. So once the Cyclops goes down... So you can switch characters during a bot fight, boss fight? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's totally uh, possible. And um, actually, it's it's almost a cheat during one of the boss fights. <laughs> because... Uh, oh, I'll get into it later. <laughs> but uh, as a result of this fight ending, we've got now a new character emerging. One of the statues becomes uh, this character that steps down and is revealed to be uh, someone by the name of Saifa. Saifa Belnandes, I think, is the way to sell th- to say this. I'm not really quite sure. Um, supposed to be a witch or a vampire hunter or a mystic warlord, depending on, you know, what you read. The name actually in Katakana appears to be going for Cypher Fernandez. I think that's the name they were kind of trying to estimate. <laughs> So that's kind of, I think, the origin of the name anyway. So what looks like Saifa is really Cypherer, but I think they're commonly known as Saifa. Uh, so I accept the offer to join, but that means that Grant says, you know, my time here is done, and Grant leaves the party. So you can only have one of, your, one of these companions along with you at a time. Mm. So it's always Trevor and someone else. And, and once you- they're gone, they're gone, you can't get that... Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're gone for this playthrough, for this particular... Okay. Wow. You could say no, and then you keep the character you yeah. have. But that would have to be, you if know... If it's your first playthrough, I might just say yes, and then mm-hmm. say, ah, you know what, I don't like this character, I want the other one back, and then right. it's too late. Yeah, too late. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Saifa has a staff in place of Trevor's Whip, which is not great for, for combat initially. Like, it's pretty weak. It's a pretty weak attack. Um, but, you know, other than like kind of breaking torches to find spells, uh, this is, this is the trick with this character. This character's strength really is in the secondary attack, right? So now instead of the normal weapons that you pick up, um, Saifa's got in place of that spell attacks, right? So now the, the spells are fire, ice, and lightning. And fire is pretty much just like... It's almost like a whip. It kind of shoots like a spray of fire directly ahead. But, of course, it consumes hearts when you, when you use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the ice attack freezes enemies around me, you know, the character. It's kinda, it kind of goes out in all directions, and it kind of creates like a, a sphere. And anything there is frozen. Um, that's particularly handy, especially for enemies that that crumble but don't disappear like there's a like the skeletons yeah you break them apart and the pile of bones goes down and they reform but if you use the ice attack on them you can shatter the skeleton once it's frozen Permanent. and that's permanently nice. gone so that's a nice perk of that particular ability uh the lightning attack though is is the best one i mean that's really awesome what happens is um when you do that attack these these three orbs are released and they home in on whatever enemies are around me. 
So that's super useful, especially for boss fights. Uh, so that's kind of where I use this character the most. Uh, um, uh, so now as I descend into the next stage, uh, the next area is called the ghost ship. And this is like a pirate ghost ship. Um, there's a lot of skeletal looking ghosts. Uh, there's headless swordsmen. Uh, there's parts of the, of the ship that will rot and collapse in certain spots. So as I'm walking on certain floorboards, they'll, they'll fall through. They're, they're different colors, so you can usually tell them apart. Well, they're, or the, I think they're, they start to sort of decay, and then you have uh, only like a second or two to get off of it before it completely drops through. But I do notice some spots here where I'm like, oh, this would have been good if Grant was still around. I could, I could go up to that mm. spot and, and still get, you know, and get some, you know, who knows, some extra goodies. Yeah. Um, there's a, a pit of snakes that form um, together into like a mini boss fight with Medusa. So on the ship, there's like a bunch of like serpents and they, they come together and they form Medusa. And this is like a, like a mini boss encounter. Um, she's not terribly difficult. She attacks with arrows made of snakes, which I thought was a, a nice touch. And um, she's got this petrifying gaze that will like freeze me in place. Uh, but she's pretty easy to beat. Uh, I just stay to the left and just keep flinging the boomerang. Now, as I understand it, this is another difference between the U.S. and Japan for this particular enemy. In the U.S. version, this character was made into a snake man. <laughs> they actually purposely... They changed Medusa into a snake man? Yeah, just a generic snake why, man. Why would they do that? Um, because in the original artwork, she was topless. So in order to not portray her as topless, oh, yeah. they actually changed that. And mm -hmm. then I even heard one theory that said they they were um, like reluctant to portray violence against women. <laughs> so they actually changed it for that reason. But come on, this is a Gorgon. This is a mystical creature. Yeah. This is not a human woman that you're, you know, uh -huh. possibly being right. violent against. You know, you're, this is like... It's a monster, basically. Uh-huh. That's weird. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's okay. another interesting little uh, change that occurred. Um, so, back toward... I, I, you know, once I get past this this, this fight, uh, I start to move back towards the deck of the ship, and there's a couple of these, like, seesaw platforms to get across. Um, there's also an area with these large crows before the actual, like, boss fight. Um, so the boss fight here is there's a chamber with two large caskets, right? And there's a ghost skull, like kind of floating in the middle of the screen in like sort of like a central pyre. And what he does is he floats up and he enters the casket on the left and that spawns a pair of mummies. Uh, and they kind of like throw bandages at me and, um, you know, the boomerang deals with them. No problem. But then, once they're defeated, this ghost skull floats over to the other casket, and now, you know, an enemy emerges from that one, and that's basically a repeat of the Cyclops from the previous stage. Um, so, unfortunately, I don't have Grant, I, like I said. Uh, you know, it takes a little more work this time to beat it, but I, you can beat it exactly the same way. You just have to hit it in the face. Uh, so, you know, once I beat that, the ghost shatters and you know collect that red ruby and then move on to the next area which is called the red tower or the tower of terror <laughs> depending on which 
version you play? Or just depending on, okay. you know, what reference you have. Right. Because really, uh, none of these areas are really highlighted in the U.S. manual. Mm. A lot of them are just secondary material that's come out over the years. Uh, it's notable just because there's a lot. Of, there's a red brick background, so a lot of people just call this the Red Tower. Um, so what happens is the sh- you actually see a map again, and the ship is shown kind of sailing towards Dracula's castle, the ghost ship. Uh, so that's where you know you disembark, and you've got this uh, this tower area. Now, um, as I mentioned, those this is where I start to see these switch traps that have spikes on them instead of just being, like, harmlessly falling through them. <laughs> um, these are even more dangerous now. Uh, there's flying gargoyles that move very erratically. They have, like, a weird sort of looping move that they do. Um, there's also a section that auto-scrolls up. And what happens is, like, as you enter this this area, the screen starts to, like, you know, it's like it's not continuously scrolling, but what happens is it, it like, moves suddenly, and there's, like, a loud thud. And then you know it's going to happen again and again. So you have to continuously like run up the stairs mm-hmm. and get past enemies. And meanwhile, these gargoyles are coming in. So and you this... can't fire upwards, right? Right. Okay. Right. So it's a little tricky here. Um, I also ran into problems with the time limit. I didn't mention that each stage is timed. There's a counter mm-hmm. at the top, which just counts down in seconds. Now, sometimes it's, I think, I don't think it's the same amount. I think it is different depending on the stage. But for some reason, I just ended up running out of time on this one. Um, I also had problems um, kind of, uh, you know, I mean, this actually happened during the boss fight, which is more frustrating. You know, like, (laughs) it's annoying when you actually get to the boss and then, like, you know, there goes the time limit. Uh, But anyway, the boss here is Frankenstein's monster. And his attack is to kind of stomp on his foot, which causes these stone blocks to fall from the ceiling, but I had the axe here, so I was able to, to beat him with that. Uh, the next area is called the walkway to the castle, or the causeway of chaos, if you prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the setting of this stage is a little different. It's a long aqueduct and a bridge that leads into Dracula's castle. So there's a section of having to push through flowing water, so that kind of slows me down. Um... And later on, crossing uh, a bridge as the floor is collapsing while being attacked by crows again and fishmen or mermen, depending on <laughs> you know you know what you prefer. Um, the boss fight is with a pair of water dragons on a set of platforms over water. Uh, they kind of rise up and blast fire. Their range is not very long, so it's. Uh, it's not too hard to like kind of keep your distance from them. There's like, really, there's there's three platforms, and if you just stay in the middle, I think that's the best approach, because like, that's the longest platform and gives you enough room to kind of maneuver away from them. Um, getting hit by their flame though will cause knockback into the water, so that's like very easy to lose a bunch of lives here if you're not careful. Um, so I just had to make sure you know I gave them enough room. Uh, the next area is is the uh, rampart or lookout tower and rather than uh, a map of the land like uh, so far I've been given like kind of a map before each stage of just like an overview of where I am but this time it looks like a cross section of the castle so I think at this point I'm finally entering the castle proper mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of annoying spots on this one there's 
a gap with like multiple platforms descending to jump onto before they get to the bottom. So there's like a big open room and there's like a set of platforms all like lowering to the floor and you have to kind of hop across before it, it gets completely to the bottom. Um, there's also a hallway where these harpies come in and drop more of those annoying fleamen hopper things. Yeah, yeah. Very difficult to avoid damage here. I took a, a, a bunch of heat here. They just jump right into you, right? They're, they're relentless, because especially if they gang up. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's more than one on the screen, it gets it gets annoying fast. Uh, I do play a bit more here as uh, Saifa, just to kind of get more familiar with this character. Um, I, you know, managed to get that, that ice power... Uh, but you have to do you have to get like a third upgrade to get to that lightning power, which is really the most the most powerful one. Uh, I do switch back to Trevor for the boss fight. It's another uh, scenario similar to the ghost ship where there's this time there's three caskets in the room. So now there's there's a similar type of thing, where, but now there's a casket in the center. Um, again, I have to fight the mummies and the cyclops as before. Uh, but the, the third one is a new creature, which is like this large gar- gargoyle sort of looking demon who kind of hops up. And every time he hops, like uh, like maybe every third hop, he kind of hovers in the air just a little more. And that's kind of enough time to like run under him and get to the other side before he completely corners me on one side of it. So... I just keep repeating that until like I can beat him. It's not not too difficult there either. And so far, uh, in case you haven't noticed, I mean the boss encounters have been pretty simple and pretty easy. Uh, none of them have been particularly challenging. I mean, just but you are playing on easy mode, aren't you? Well, I suppose so. I suppose I suppose the uh, I'm thinking the easiness comes from I don't know. I guess. Because the stages themselves are pretty challenging. Yeah. Like, it's very easy to just fall off a ledge and, you know, let's say you lose life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's because of that. <laughs> maybe maybe they're more challenging on the other side. Uh, but now I'm, I'm on stage eight, which is inside the castle. Fully inside Dracula's castle now. And this stage kind of partly recreates the start of the castle from the first game. You know, that, that sort of you go through that that ballroom kind of setting where there's like zombies and stuff coming at you. Uh, the vampire killer theme is playing. Uh, I try Sypha out some more on this one. I finally got that lightning power, but overall I feel like that character plays a little too slowly because their, their reach is really short. It doesn't quite have the same effect as like just that whip, you know, it is, it is useful in certain scenarios though. So I do go back and forth trying it. Um, this stage ends with another kind of crumbling bridge behind me as I approach the boss's chamber. And, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess this castle's been here for hundreds of years. This bridge is fine, but when I choose to cross it, it starts to crumble. I think that's a little suspicious, personally. Uh, so I barely make it across, and I encounter death, right? Now, didn't I see death in the game that I played last week? More... More horsemen of the apocalypse to deal with it here. Seems like every game you've played. Has yeah, been. yeah, but I think that was a different death. Okay. It's not. It's not the death. You know, that was like just a guy who was calling himself death. I found Saifa very useful for this fight with death because uh, the short throw style of the staff was was very good because the way and and the death fight I'm, I'm, is one of the tougher boss fights in this game. 
because he's constantly summoning those spinning scythes that come at you from like all directions. So Sypha's staff was able to just block them. If any of them are directly in front of me, I can just hit them very easily. It's it's a lot faster than the whole whip action. It's very easy to just throw your whip and then like the scythe just comes and hits you in the head, you know? Mm-hmm. But I found the staff was was able to block the scythe hits much much easier and much quicker. But the more important part was that this homing lightning ability that this character has was awesome for this because as death is like zooming all over the screen, I just keep firing those 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 lightning balls and they just home in and fly around and just nail them. Nice. So that's the best way to defeat this character I found, or at least you know this boss. But of course, being death. After going down, his second form now comes out, which is a giant floating skull, and that also throws out the occasional scythe, but it's not as bad. So actually, the second form is is a little easier than the first one, uh, but that takes care of death, and <laughs> now moving on to stage nine, uh, this is known as the villa, or and the waterfalls, so it's like a little combination of the two. Uh, more hoppers and more gargoyles to deal with. There's another sort of auto-scrolling section where I have to climb stairs quickly and, you know, with each thud, um, you know, the bottom gets close. So basically, if, if, you know, if the screen scrolls up and you're near the bottom, you know, you lose a life. Death, yeah. Um, uh, there's another section where I have to go through flowing water that kind of, I have to, you know, pushes against me as I'm walking towards it and then also pushes behind me once I get past mm. the little waterfall that's flowing. This is another stage where the background continues to animate if you pause the game, which is, you know, a nice little touch. Uh, so I, th- I found that the homing lightning was also a big help here um, because this is another area where there's like tons of crows and fish creatures jumping out continuously. So you know, it's there's at least throughout most of this area, there's at least three enemies on the screen at once, and the homing missiles really helped a lot. Um, but then, before the boss, there's a bridge that I had that was just all clear, like traps along the bottom. So it was very tempting to go across this bridge and just jump because it's, there's all like candles above me, and I'm thinking, oh great, this is you know more upgrades or more hearts or something. But I realized that there's like all spikes underneath it. So if I jump at all, it will flip the trap, and I'll end up, you know, taking damage for that. So I uh, avoided doing that here at all costs. Um, go ahead, straight into the boss room. And the boss is in this one is one of the trickier ones, also a, a tougher one. This is known as the doppelganger. And this character assumes the form of whatever character I'm playing as. Mm. Uh, I tried switching mid-fight, and what happens is he kind of reforms as the new character. So even if you switch characters as you're fighting him, he'll become the new character. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Um, I noticed, though, that he doesn't always have the same weapon that I do. So at first, with Trevor, he had the boomerang, which is really hard, because now I'm basically fighting, you know, the same character that's as powerful as me. But I tried to outwhip and outmaneuver him, and that didn't work so well. So I actually ended up using Sypha instead, and um, that worked out much better because I was able to jump up to a corner and kept attacking with the lightning attack. And for some reason, he only had the flame attack to counter me with. Um, but 
he wasn't able to reach up where I was. So I was able to beat him pretty quickly. Uh, so I guess, you know, <laughs> the lesson is always go into that one with your alternate character if you can. Um, so now the final stage, this is the, this is known as the castle keep. Um, there's also a little bit of a clock tower again here. Uh, staircase descends into the clock tower and it's immediately scrolling downwards. So now it's instead of scrolling up, it's scrolling in the opposite direction. Forced to go down. Okay. Yeah. Um, this one took a couple of tries. I, I died a few times right at the start because right away I'm in the gears of a clock and I can't quite figure out how to get around the gear before the top of the screen scrolls up. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the gears act as like a conveyor belt, right? It'll push you in a direction. Yeah. They kind of force you to move along with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I couldn't, I had to like kind of crouch and continually push to the left to get around this gear. I couldn't quite figure out how to do it at first. Um, there's also a lot of slowdown I noticed in this area because there's a lot of stuff going on between Only the, in this area. Isn't the whole game? Uh, with most of the game is pretty smooth, Okay, but I noticed this particular one had a lot of stuff going on. The animated background combined with all these Medusa heads flying through, um, a noticeable amount of slowdown here. Um, the following room had me kind of almost doing like a trapeze act. I had to go through over, you know, three pendulums at once. Um, and really without much warning, all of a sudden you're in Dracula's chamber, like, just like that, (laughs) you know, uh, he rises up from his throne and he starts summoning these fire pillars out of the floor, attempting to kind of trap me between them. So what happens is he'll, he'll start by putting two smaller um, like pillars on the, on the floor and then a third big one in between wherever I'm standing. So the goal here is to just not get trapped between the two smaller ones. Uh, just kind of jump away as, as fast as possible. Uh, he'll also teleport in closer. Um, the lightning orbs hurt him quickly enough. So I don't really spend a lot of time on this part. Of course, he's got an additional form that, that emerges once you beat him initially. Uh, the next form is really bizarre. It's a it's a, a floating like clump of five heads like kind of stuck together, <laughs> and uh, there's like a big brain on top of it, and it's like dripping blood below it. It's like pretty gruesome. Do they display names for the enemies on the screen, or that's never no, shown? No, no, okay, Mm-mm. not in the version I played anyway. Okay. No, yeah, I guess the later games are like that. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think most of these probably came from you know, like art books and other supplementary material that was printed about the game. Mm-hmm. At no point do you ever actually see the, any of these character names referenced, really. Um, so what happens with this particular form, like the faces, like as you hit it, as you hit the the enemy and it takes damage, you, the faces become like more skeletal-like. So you're kind of almost whipping the flesh off of the <laughs> the faces and they become like more bone-like. Um and eventually, you don't have to defeat them all. It just compl- it just kind of breaks apart when the health bar is completely worn down. And his third form is like this giant, like bird-like statue, and it fires this slow-moving beam from his eyes or from his talons. And meanwhile, chunks of the floor are rising out and kind of floating around the room. And I can jump on those those blocks, and it kind of kind of helps to hit him a few times. Um, He's only vulnerable in the head, so naturally the lightning orbs here are pretty effective. Mm. Uh, but the, the weird thing is, these orbs will also home in on the platforms. So the little blocks that jump out of the floor and float around the room 
Well, sometimes the orbs will follow the blocks around trying to hit those, and the blocks are not destructible. So, oh, so it's like a distraction? Yeah, it kind of doesn't work so well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I had to switch forms just to clear the orb out, because you can't fire another one until that one goes away. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so I kind of, you know, switch back and forth a little bit to, to reset it. Uh, I pretty much continued this approach until he was completely defeated. And... That pretty much leads to the first ending that I got, anyway, um, which is Trevor and Sypha outside of the castle, watching it collapse. And uh, Sypha, at this point, reveals her true form by throwing back her hood, and you see long blonde hair and kind of drapes her head against uh, Trevor's shoulder because, you know, after surviving this this treacherous mission together. They got kind of close mm-hmm. and fell in love. And, uh, the Belmont family name goes on <laughs> as a result Belmond of this. Belmond. Belmond or Belmondo or yeah. whatever, whichever one you like. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you get different endings depending on, on which characters you finished with. Now, is this a spoiler alert? Well, I gave this one away. Okay. If you want to find out what the other ones are, you can, you can play <laughs> through it yourself and see what you think. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I'd say this is a pretty solid game. Obviously, the pinnacle of, of uh, the Castlevania experience on the NES. Mm-hmm. I, I think they, it, it, you really see a lot more polish in this game, um, a lot more quality coming through. Uh, definitely enjoyable, but definitely also challenging. <clears throat> you notice a difference in like background graphics and yeah, I noticed the the colors look a lot Is more there vibrant. A lot of parallax scrolling or something um, like that. A little bit, but not really. Okay. Actually, I think I think most of the background stuff was mostly animation mm-hmm. when when possible. I didn't really notice any parallax at all. Um, the only thing was maybe during the intro, I saw some like some clouds over the castle moving or something, but that was about it. Nothing, nothing too impressive on that front. Um, I did check on eBay just to see, like, well, what does this game go for? Is this desirable <laughs> or what? And uh, cartridge only was somewhere between fifteen and forty dollars, depending on. Oh, that's it. I would have thought that was going to be more. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is card only, so yeah. uh, a box version went from anywhere from forty-five to a hundred. Oh, that's not bad either. Mm-hmm. I did see one sealed copy sell for $320. Mm. Factory sealed. It's not too bad either. <laughs> really? Sealed copy of an NES game? I don't know. It depends how rare it is, I guess. I guess this one's just highly desirable. So Yeah, I, I remember even back when it came out, that game was always hard to find. Mm-hmm. Part 3 was like the tougher one of the three of them to find in stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it... Because it came out at a time where NES was sort of fading out a little bit. Uh-huh. 89... You know, the 16-bit consoles were coming, were already available, and, you know, those last bunch of games weren't really in demand as much, so, you know, that was, like, right before, uh, probably 1990 is when, really, the dip started happening, but, yeah. Hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah, so I I did compare it against the Japanese version, just to see, like, maybe... Like, price-wise? Yeah, just to see, is the Famicom version, like, more, Mm. you know, desirable in some way, or... Because it seems like Famicom games in general tend to be a little bit cheaper than NES games, just because I guess typically, right? You know, like it's that. not there's not quite the mania over there over Famicom as there is yeah. over Nintendo here. Mm-hmm. 
but and it's actually a little tricky to search for it because of all the weird variations in the spelling of the game. Because the um, you know the Japanese title is a little is different. It's not Castlevania. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Akumajo Densetsu, which means uh, Demon Castle Legend. <laughs> Very generic sounding, but hmm. that's kind of how the series is known over there. So because there isn't really a hundred percent standard way of of writing that out, searching for it on eBay is a little tricky. But from what I found. Cartridge only was a little more. It was actually forty to seventy dollars for a loose cart for the Famicom version. Really, complete in box, anywhere from seventy to one hundred and forty dollars. So, uh, I guess uh, in on average, a little a little price here. Maybe the reputation of the Japanese version is is hmm. kind of getting around. Do you think that has to do with the soundtrack differences? Because the it is noticeably different. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, as we said, like the the Famicom cart is 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 one of these examples of a game that uh, has additional hardware to ex- expand like the system's capabilities, right? So uh, for this one, it's a chip called the VRC six, which uh, adds like a couple of new capabilities to the game. Uh, it adds uh, some some fancy memory management capabilities. But it also added three additional sound channels to the NES, amazingly, right? Um, the stock NES has five channels. It's got two square wave channels, it's got a triangle wave, uh, a noise generator, and uh, a digital PCM channel, mm-hmm. right? This cartridge adds an additional two square wave channels and a sawtooth. So. Okay. So they actually put the sound hardware on the cartridge itself. Yeah, additional sound hardware. Yeah, that's so insane. <laughs> and that's just one of its capabilities. I mean, that's just you know the one that's more prominent and more noticeable because it results in a better soundtrack. Yeah. But um, you know, for the U.S. version, they had to sort of take the Japanese soundtrack and kind of reduce it down to the like the, the core five voices that the that the NES normally oh, now, has. Why is that? Well, because. Basically, the the so the U.S. version did not ship with the VRC six chip. It used a different chip called the MMC five, yeah. which is a Nintendo design chip, um, and that chip was used not for its sound capability, but for the extra memory management capabilities yeah. that it added. Uh, basically, the NES is wired. The cartridge slot on the NES is not wired the same way as it is on the Famicom, so the audio pins are not available okay. to cartridges, so they couldn't build that into so the game. So what if you put the Famicom cart with an adapter in the NES? Are you not going to get those extra... You still won't get those really? extra voices, because the NES slot is physically not wired for sound. Wow. What so... they did is they, they redirected those channels to yeah. the expansion port on the NES, figuring at some point... There might be an add-on for the NES to boost those capabilities. So the only way you're going to hear this authentic sound, besides like YouTubing it or something, <laughs> right. is going to be to get a Famicom or emulate it. Uh, pretty much. Probably so. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know of a home. It was released on the PC. I don't know if there was a way to choose the sound, like what music was going to be on it or not. But. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was a mobile um, port in 2006, according to Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, so uh, the official versions are... There's the, it came out on Virtual Console, on the Wii, the 3DS, and the Wii U. And that was at the 
so American I'm, version. I'm assuming for the U.S. you okay. got the U.S. version. Uh-huh. And in Japan, I'm assuming they got their native yeah. port. Yeah. Um, there was a weird version released for the PC, actually, in 2002. There was something called Konami's Collector Series, uh, Castlevania and Contra. So on one CD-ROM, they released five NES titles, mm-hmm. Castlevania 1, 2, and 3, and then Contra and Super C on one disc. Yeah. Um, that came out, that's basically a Windows 95 release type of uh, game. Hmm. Um, those are emulated, obviously. I don't think they're reprogrammed. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, you mentioned the soundtrack. Uh, it's, I thought the soundtrack was great throughout. I think either one would have been perfectly fine. I mean, they use the same tunes. Yeah, I think they're both great. Um, but I think my favorite, the one that stands out for me the most, is probably the music for Stage 9. It's a track titled Riddle, mm. and it just has a great sort of prog rock feeling to it. I really like that style. I think it was very fitting, especially f- building towards the finale of the game. Yeah. It really worked for me there. Um, so, yeah. That was... Uh, Any other notes about this game? Um, well, obviously, there's a whole bunch of stages that I didn't get to play because yeah. I, didn't, I took the alternate path. I guess we'll leave that up to people to... Tr- Find that out on their own, maybe? Uh, pretty much. I'll probably go back to it. If I um, if I do play it, I'll let you know. But Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. How do you feel now that you've played Part 1, 2, 3? Uh-huh. You've played the Genesis Bloodlines, right. Super Nintendo Part 4. Right. And you've played Kid Dracula, and you've played <laughs> the arcade game. Uh-huh. So now, I don't think you've, you've played the Game Boy game also, I believe. Um, I might have played Castlevania Adventure way back when, but that doesn't... Okay. Uh, you know. So how do you feel this one stacks up against... You didn't play Rondo, right? Rondo Not yet. Won. Okay. Mm-mm. So how, what do you think? Uh, it, well, like, like I said earlier, I, it pretty much is a refinement of the style that was you know, presented in the first game. So obviously, if you like the first game, you're going to love this game. If you like, uh, you know, if, if, if Simon's Quest was more your speed, then then you might be disappointed to see this game go nope. back to simpler roots, nope. perhaps. <laughs> but uh, I'd say this is a more satisfactory experience. Uh-huh. I think this one it pays off better. Yeah, I didn't play this one. This is one I skipped right over. It Amazing. Came out, it came out at a time where... For me, NES was dying out, and I was, had my eyes on a Sega Genesis, and I was just blown away by good graphics. Like, that's what I was into at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So when the game came out, my friend had it, and he was playing it all over. I over his house, and he played it all the time. And he was telling me it was a great game. But I was never in love with the first two games. Like, I liked them. I thought they were good games, but they were not... Mm-hmm. I, I, I played through them, but I borrowed them from people. That's how I played them. It wasn't, like, something I needed to own to have in my collection. It was, like, it wasn't something I'd go back to. Yeah. So there wasn't a love affair with Castlevania at the time. Mm-hmm. So when 3 came out, it was like, well, this is a, it was a little pricier than some of the other Castlevania games. And it was at a time where even Nintendo was, like, saying, hey, uh, you know, in order to fight off, like, people who were interested in Genesis and stuff, you know, you don't need good graphics to have good games. We have Castlevania, we have Super C, we have Mario Bros. 3. Like, you know, uh-huh. these, are, these games are better than anything you'll find on a 16-bit machine. And there was stuff like that where I was just like, eh, you know, I didn't. I had Super C and that was okay, and just it didn't do anything for me anymore. When I saw like the Last Battle on Genesis, which looked phenomenal, you know, maybe not even close to be a, as good of a game as Castlevania Three, but right, um, you know, Ghouls and Ghosts looked amazing. You know, how can I go back to Gen- a suit Nintendo after that? Like those games just didn't appeal to me anymore. So mm-hmm. it just I ignored 
you know, anything like from 89 onwards practically. But I did play it like here and there. I just never spent like a whole play session from start to finish. Yeah. So it's been a while, but um, I, I, f- I find it a little difficult maybe to go back to. I don't know. Yeah, it's... Because um, the series has changed so much. Well, I think if you approach it with that in mind that, you know, you, there, there are eras of Castlevania. There's, yeah. there's like, styles of, of gameplay of this type. I feel this is obviously at, at its finest, you know, if you like the traditional style. Okay. And... Um, I, you know, I think obviously some of the difficulty is a little cheap, especially with the knockback. That's never been a favorite component of mine of this type of game. But in general, just the variety of enemies, the interesting scenarios that are created. I, you know, obviously I like the the look and feel of the games, uh, as well as you know the great soundtrack and everything. You know, it's, it's, I think it's worth it's a worth taking the time to play play it out and you know check it out for yourself. But, uh, you know, obviously Castlevania has matured since then and grown up in different ways. Yeah. So. So we can close the book on this, and now you need to play, please, <laughs> Symphony of the Night. Well. Or are you going to play the Ron- other one first? I, I, Rondo of Blood comes first. <laughs> Chronologically speaking, oh, I've got to go that way All first. Right. <laughs> uh, I, well, only because you're building Symphony up so so highly. I know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Not not. Not because not not because you know you're you're trumping it up too much, uh-huh. but basically, uh, I want to I want to I don't want to play the better game first if you feel it's better. Okay, <laughs> and then go back. Well, to, like, I didn't a lesser play Rondo of Blood, so I don't know mm-hmm. if it's better or not. But okay, I can't say for sure. People people love, you know, Rondo. I, 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 yeah, I, I, feel- I didn't know it a Turbo CD at the time. I got uh-huh. rid of it so. I was never able... Well, it was an import anyway, right? So right, right. I would have never, never imported that. Yeah. yeah, well, we only got Dracula X on Super Nintendo right, instead. Which, uh, I skipped over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a decent game, from what I understand, in its own right. Yeah. Just just not the same. Um, but yeah, that'll probably be the next one I tackle. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so... so what do we got? Let me tell you about this little pickup for this week. Please do. It's super cool. Check it out. This is... I have a bunch of these already. They're called So Analog. Mm-hmm. It's a little uh, like action figure Nintendo cart. I've talked about these on prior uh, ep- podcast episodes. Yeah. Um, it's from a company called... Well, it's from a series called Tendo. And this is from Squid's, Squid King's Inc., is the name of the artist. Squid Kid Inc. Squid Kids Inc. I have trouble saying that fast. <laughs> okay. It's a bit and, of a tongue twister. Yeah. It's a limited edition. This was only available at the San Diego Comic Con from 2016. For this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, this is, and I'll probably uh, I'll upload a photo on Facebook of what this is, but it's a mini, like, Nintendo-inspired cartridge. Yeah. With a little, like, two eyes on it. It's a cartoon version of an NES Yeah, part. and it has a little... Um, peg peg holes for feet and hands. Mm-hmm. So it looks like feet a little feet and hands. Feet and hands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a small. You know, it's not to scale. It's a little small miniature toy. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that's it. But there's something special about this one besides being a limited edition. I can tell Comic-Con. that it is special. It is a glow in the dark plastic. I know that is <laughs> one of your. Favorite things about what? living in the modern world is having things that glow in the dark. Why do I still? Why am I still impressed by glow in the dark <laughs> plastics? 
Because there's something otherworldly about it. There's something. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it like. I, I don't know what it is. Makes it really special. Have you tested it out? Have you tested out the glow in the dark capabilities? I have, and it works wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't have, like, because they make a lot of these, this is a whole series of these little cartridges with different cartridge labels on it. Yeah. Different, like, um, a lot of the cartridge labels are sort of um, satire of, like, actual Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. So uh, I only have a handful of these. The last ones I bought were, um, pl- like, uh, sort of imitations of the Nintendo classic um, competition cards, whatever those are called. Right. The white label and, and gold mm-hmm. cards. So this one is a, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's like ecto-cooler. It's sort of playing on the whole Ghostbusters ecto-cooler fad. Ecto-cooler. That's what it says, ecto-cooler. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know what that is a picture of, some kind of fruit or something. But that's why it's glow-in-the-dark, because it's a whole Ghostbusters theme. Yeah. But um, Very appropriate. And I really don't have any... Uh, like nostalgia for ecto cooler uh, that was not i know i see it's very popular these days because they brought it back but um i never drank it when i was like i was never allowed to drink those sugary drinks really yeah all so, artificial chemicals yeah plus, plus um i probably was a little too old maybe when that was really popular i probably thought it was just like a kid's drink or something <laughs> i don't were, know you were both too old and also not allowed <laughs> yeah probably i honestly don't remember it i don't remember it uh-huh. being a fad or anything right like, was that for the cartoon or honestly i didn't i never paid as much attention yeah, to it either so, and i it's funny because i see so many people nostalgia for it but mm-hmm. i don't even remember it like in stores or anything but anyway this is super cool the hands feet and feet all glow in the dark except for the, the cartridge label yeah and the eyes, of course, are black. Uh, another funny thing is that it comes with a straw that is held in the hands of the character. That That is a nice Like a little accessory. sippy straw from mm-hmm. the little cartons of drinks. So It's um, a nice touch. Yeah, this one's going to look cool when I, when I set all these guys up. Got a whole up. army of these guys already. I have, I think this one, I have one giant one. And then I have... He's the leader. One, two, yeah. <laughs> and I have like four or five small ones. Uh-huh. But, I mean, they make, like, probably, like, 30 at this point. Yeah. 40, But, but so. they're all interesting in their own way. Yeah, they do a lot of special editions, too. You've been picking out the the interesting variations. There was another one he was selling. It was for... All these figures look the same. It's the same mold. They just do different cartridge labels. But the other one was for the uh, Iron Maiden game that just came out on mobile. Mm. And uh, it was actually more money than this one, but... I thought I, I'm not a big Iron Maiden fan, but it just, right. the cartridge art looked really cool. So I didn't get that one, but this was the one I, I didn't think I was going to get it because I didn't go to the San Diego Comic Con. But he had some leftover ones that he sold on his website. Amazing! So I was super happy to get this. Glad um, you, I'm glad it's you got it. As good as I hoped it to be. Yeah, <laughs> it looks really nice. So I'm really happy that this one made it to my collection. And the funny thing was, so this just came this week. And then it just so happens I was in my local supermarket, and what do I see on one of the aisles, like on an end cap, on like this little kiosk? Uh-huh. A whole pile of, like stacked all the way up to my waist, of these little ecto-cooler drinks. Right. <laughs> and you still weren't tempted to try it, right? I was tempted, but then I thought about it, I'm like, I don't know if I should put those chemicals in my body. I don't know. <laughs> Not even a, just to taste it? I, you know what? what? I do regret it, actually. I, I left without buying it. I'm like, well, I'm I sure got home and I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? If I go back, I'm, I'm just going to buy it. I'm sure they're still there. If I want to stack to the ceiling. I have to know. I know. They, yeah, they had 
quite a bit. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they were gone. At first, I thought they, they were kind of hard to get because I saw people talking about ordering it from Amazon and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. can you just go to the supermarket and get it? Well, I've never seen them. This was the first time when I wandered in there, I saw this huge stack. Mm-hmm. And it, that's, why, that's why it was just a coincidence to see it because I've never seen it. I've looked at for it in stores, but I've never seen it. And it was the carton one because I think there's two types. There's the little cardboard, you know, little boxes. And then there's probably the cans, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think there's cans also. Okay. So the ones I saw were the little cartons with the straw that come with it, which is what this figure is, I guess, mm-hmm. sort of um, based on. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Nice. Very, very cool. Yep. <laughs> You're going to have to do a group shot at one point, too. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, fig- a photo up. I'll try to take a photo of it glowing. Mm. My camera may not pick it up, though. It's a little hard. Long exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think, you know what it is? My camera, when I do low uh, low light photos, a lot of grain is present. Because I'm using my cell phone camera. So it's a little grainy. And it doesn't look so great. Mm. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess that's uh, that's one option. You could always try your... Your camcorder that's got the night shot capability. Who knows? Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> Especially since you use it for ghost hunting. How? Yeah. And this is uh, this is going to be ecto powered. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So who knows? Maybe that will work. All right. Did you find anything in your travels this week? I I don't have anything quite as cool as this. It's really no big deal, actually. The only things I I, I got this week that are. Uh, worth mentioning. Um, for one thing, I got a new Wii U game. I got Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which is a game from last year that I had never picked up. Um, I saw Best Buy had sort of reduced the price to $32, which translates to $26 with my with my discount. It's not a great price, particularly, but I noticed they don't carry it in stores anymore, and it looks oh, like this already? game's... Best Buy doesn't, oh, at least. Okay. Uh, well, I, I see them starting to clear out Wii U stuff. I'm mm-hmm. noticing... The, not cl- clearing out, but they're lowering the prices on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, originally... Which is usually it was, a sign that it's going to be gone next year. It was normally 39 I figured a little... Yeah, I got like, it for 26 yeah. It's not a big discount, but it's, it's something. Not, no. Yeah. Uh, the other game I got was uh, something that I had meant to pick up, and I somehow forgot about it. <laughs> but I realized that Gravity Rush Remastered uh, came out for PS4. This was originally a PS Vita game. And they came out with a PS4 enhanced port of it. And I know it had come out some time ago. And I, I realized that only Amazon had the physical release of this game. It's available on the PlayStation Network Store for download. But mm-hmm. if you want a physical disc, you have to get it from Amazon. And I wonder, does it count as a pickup if if you got it for me as a... I think it still counts. I, I've... I helped you acquire it. You helped me but get it's it. It's not the first time I've done that because I, I, I had to use your your Prime uh, discount, not yeah. your discount, but your your free shipping at least mm-hmm. <laughs> to get this game. Um, so it's still your money. So. so it's right, right. So it's so it's a semi pickup on my and part. And you pointed it out to me. It's not like I surprised you and say, "Hey, look what I bought with your credit card," or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "How'd you get my credit card?" No, nothing like that. No, it wasn't like that. Uh, so yeah, the game was normally uh, twenty nine ninety nine, and they had it on sale for for twenty for for ten dollars off. Mm-hmm. So I figured, well, I don't know what I don't know what how long this game is going to stick around if it's 
only a temporary you kind of know. a thing. So yeah. you just grab it now while it's available. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going for this little PS Vita mini collection. So well, this is for PS4, which even... oh, it was the PS4 game. Okay, yeah. So I don't, it's 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 a game I already have on Vita, but I figured let me <laughs> let me round out the set and get mm-hmm. it. Get wait, it for so wait, PS4. did they release the remastered version on Vita too, or is no? It just, no, oh, this so is, it, this is enhanced for it PS4. Is just for PS4. Okay, yeah. Alright. Yep. So, uh, another one for the shelf, I guess. Another two for the <laughs> <Yeah>. shelf. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> right. Something tells me there'll be more. So you better make room on that shelf. Uh, I suppose. But not for today, right? Is that N- not this time. Okay. Alright. So, I guess we can move into some feedback. I guess we can start off yeah. with uh, a question posed to us by Greg Pollander. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, Greg asks, considering how much airtime Stephanie devotes to it, um, cell phone games, can you explain the appeal? He says, I just don't get it. Granted, I have an older iPhone 4S, because it's fine for what I want from a phone. But when I want handheld gaming, I'm very happy to use my new 3DS XL that I got about six months ago. It offers better games and quality and ease of play than any cell phone game I've tried or heard about. On the phone, I find games limited in spo- scope and depth, and the screen too small. The controls don't work well at all, touch or trying to use a controller. And the app store, confusing nightmare to navigate. That much I will agree with. Uh, carrying around a 3DS means I need another device on, you know, on me for trips for portable gaming. But it's so much better than a cell phone game. And he includes the uh, Vita being a good handheld as well. So I think that's, this is an interesting point to bring up because mm. obviously um, a lot of people do have the opinion that, you know, these cell phone games are very disposable and kind of not real gaming. Mm. So uh, obviously you play a lot of them and I play a lot of them too, but you surpass even my efforts. <laughs> so what do you think? Uh, I probably have over 500 at least mm-hmm. in my library now. If you go on Game Center, you can see like how many. I, th- I think it tells you how like other people how many are in my collection. Right, right. But uh, so why why like how, how do you think? So I answered. I did a quite a long response. It's on Facebook on our on our message board. If you just want to look at it, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not gonna like read the whole thing out like word for word. But I, I basically like for, I mean everyone's different. So um, you know I'm, I'm never whenever I talk about these games, I'm never like telling people like you should play. You know. If you're not playing mobile games, you know, you're you're doing it wrong or anything like that, you sure. know. Because people have different, you know, what games you might like might not be what someone else likes. So, um but like for me, I grew up with like these old simple games, like Atari 2600. Like I can still go back to those games. To me, they're simple. I can turn it on, play a quick game for a high score, you know, I'm done in a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. you know, some games maybe longer, but um, they're just like quick experiences, you know. I sure. like to put on MAME. You know, I talk about MAME games a lot. Yeah. Uh, arcade games. And I like those because they're quick. You know, they're at, they were made to be quarter munchers that, you know, made to be fast, as quick as possible. Let's get the player off, and you mm-hmm. know, so they can put another quarter in. So I, I grew up on that. And that's what I'm used to. So like games like Robotron, so I love playing those games because they're quick, fast. And then that's what I feel like a lot of mobile games are that I look for. The thing with mobile, like especially the iOS store, or even Google's probably even worse, but uh, with the iOS store, there's so many games. I think the hardest part is how do you find... Because like, not all the games are good. You sure. Know? There's, there's a lot of junk, For actually. every one good game, there's probably ten that are terrible. Mm-hmm. You know? 
So the, the hardest part is, and that goes back to you, you find that um, the App Store maybe is not the best curator for these games, you know, yeah. for, the, for the person who doesn't really have the time to spend to search for these things. Um, and that's kind of where I come in, so I talk about <laughs> games that I think that people might like, but um, I don't really have a problem, like, finding these. Like, I find the App Store pretty good, considering how many, like, of millions of games that are on there, well, but... Well, you, you have a set of games can, that you know are good, and then it often offers some suggestions, right? That, that's a lot of times what I'll do. Like, I, I look at one site called Touch Arcade, Touch Arcade and they um, will often focus on, like, some of these retro-style games, which I like. But, yeah, so um, if sometimes, if there's a game that I like, I'll click on it in the App Store. And then, um, this is on the actual iDevice. It'll show me, like, oh, if you like these, you know, people also bought these games. And it'll usually be pretty similar in scope of, of what those type of games are like. And then I'll often, like, test one of them out. A lot of times they're free, so. But, you know, beyond that, too, it's not even just that... It's, um, I don't play, I'm not a mobile person, like, I don't take the subway or anything right now. I, when I drive, I'm driving, so I don't play games, so I really ever, I never leave my house, like, in the attention of playing mobile, like, games mobile, like, mobile games mobily, I should say. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If that makes sense. So, um, you know, I play them when I'm on the couch, it's just something, like, to kill time. Sometimes I'm on the internet, and, you know, I'm on my computer, and I just want to, like, just play a game real fast. I just turn on my iPad quickly, and Mm -hmm. uh, I like to play on the iPad, because it's a bigger screen. Sure. I used to play on it. I had an iPod Touch, third gen, which was very similar to the 4S iPhone. I used to have a 4S iPhone, too. But uh, I like the size on the iPad. It's, like, 10 inches, and it's a really good... It feels light, and it's easy to look at. That's kind of how I play, too. I, um... I usually use um, an iPad Mini, which is mm. uh, you know eight inch screen compared yeah. to the full size iPad, but still very comfortable and uh, large enough so that you know it's uh, kind of you know uh, encompasses my entire field of vision. I don't feel like I'm looking at a small screen. Yeah, you know. So that's another point that Greg brings up. He says you know it's not that satisfying to play on a, on a cell phone that's only got like a, a three and a half or a four inch screen. Because it's just not very, you know, it's not a lot to look at. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. I think in, in our case, both of us, we pretty much play on tablets exclusively. We're not really playing uh, on cell phones at all. Right. And, but I think that we're probably not in the majority. I think a lot of people do play on their phones. Mm-hmm. But they play different games. So there's so many types of games to play. Right. Like, when I look at the top 150 games like downloaded on the, iP- uh, the iOS store... I don't even think I've played maybe one or two, like at most, like Angry Birds maybe and like one other, you know. Yeah. I, I typically don't play those type of games like tapping games and mm-hmm. uh, like the Ages of War and Clash of Clans. Like that's not my... Right. I'm, I'm not into that. I'm into more like games that would have been on an Atari or like an 8-bit computer. Like I think of a lot of these feel like when I used to play on my Atari 800 XL and I used to buy Antic Magazine and used to have like program the the code in and make your right. own game and those games were like not great but there was something like fun about having a new simple game to play even if it was only like for an hour and then you're like well this game's not that great but it was fun you know just to check out yeah like who doesn't love uh going over your friend's house and copying like 
a disc of five games, you know, <laughs> for your Commodore 64 or something. Uh, we, we can say that everybody did that back then, even if it's not 100% legal. <laughs> even though even though they said, don't copy the floppy. Sure. We still did it anyway. But, you know, as a kid, you didn't have $20, $30 to buy on, yeah. on a, a new game, so that's what you did. And to me, that's just like, I, that's a little nostalgia to me, where I, I can pick up five games and it cost me like, you know, under $5, or uh-huh. even less sometimes. Yeah, and they they still have that vibe, you know. It's like simple high scores or easy mechanics, well, you know. I think uh, that's another point to bring up. Like, I, they these games are often uh, very much indie games. Like, I, I, obviously, we talk about you know the uh, indie revolution happening on PC and on consoles these days, where a lot of the more creative games that are coming out are. Are, are coming from indie developers who are small teams, usually you know one to five people, maybe just cranking out a simple game in a few months, and uh, it doesn't have it's a, it's a game that doesn't have like this fifteen million dollar budget behind it, so they don't have the pressure to like you know deliver uh, this this high quality experience. They can take a chance on some yeah. unproven idea and see what happens. A lot of these games are done by people who do this. Uh, like on their weekends, I, I've heard a story because on, on the Touch Arcade, um, he was he was saying he was talking to someone, and one of the because they talk about developers sometimes, and there was a story like that where the, uh, something came up, and they you know he found out that the guy worked at like a Seven Eleven or something, and it was like holy cow, like your game is like fairly successful on the App Store, and this is what you do for a living, right? It's like how did that happen? But this is uh, to me that's part of the fun too, is well of the indie spirit of passion like there's a lot of passion in some of these uh-huh. not all of them a lot, there's a lot of duds but <laughs> right right you know some of them are good it was, it's like the wild frontier you don't know what's gonna happen right <laughs> but uh, but that that is that is part of the reality of that situation like the fact that even if you do have a successful game it's it's not always easy mm-hmm. to make money at it because there's so much competition and you know then obviously you have to share your cut with with Apple who is effectively your publisher you right, know right and yeah. uh or, you know, they're the platform holders, so they take their piece. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's hard to stand out. It's such a crowded field. Yeah. Uh, so even people who do make a game, uh, they, they don't always, uh, you know, they have to keep at it. They, they can't rest on their laurels. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do like the handheld gaming, too. Mm-hmm. I used to, you know, I had a Game Boy. I had, uh, and like I said, I, I rarely ever played outside my house. Like, I always... You know, I'm right. an indoor gamer. <laughs> um, I, you know, Game Boy I had a GBA. Right. I, I like they weren't always my favorite. Like I always preferred console games, but uh, I loved the DS Lite. Mm-hmm. I I played that. That was at one point I was considering that like my all time favorite machine. Like, right. I, I play that all the time, and I felt like when the iPod Touch, when I got one of those, a lot of those there was some games that I played on the DS that carried over. Like they made ports of them. Mm-hmm. So I was saying. Oh, okay, like, there was Brain Age-type games, you know, and I like that game. Or um, A Cradle of Rome was another game that I played a lot on the DS. Mm-hmm. So they had some of those on, on the, the iPod Touch, so I started playing those, and, and then I found myself not really going back to the DS anymore. And then little by little, I was like, oh, I just picked up, like, ten more games on this iPod Touch, and, you know, there was stuff like Mega Man on there, and, you know, maybe not the best use of a touchscreen, but right. um, there was just more and more, and I felt like the DS was sitting there more and more, you know, like, never turning it on, because I would have to go to a store and buy a game for the DS Lite, you know, which was going to be 30 or $40, so mm-hmm. there was a little bit of that involved, so it's it's not a simple answer, and, you know, I think everyone's different of why 
why mobile games is appealing for some people. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a device that everybody owns. So that's, uh, uh, you know, something that makes it very accessible, very easy for someone to put a game out and, you know, your, your potential customer base is in the hundreds of millions potential. More than that. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. so, so it's very easy <laughs> to, uh, to kind of, um, put it, put it in front of a lot of people potentially yeah. if, if you can get noticed. Uh, actually, uh, Frankie Vitarello had a comment too, co-host of the digital press podcast too. He, he kind of mentions, um, uh, another common complaint that, that I think is valid of, of a lot of mobile games. He says that, you know, games that attempt to mimic uh, a D pad and a button layout, I think yeah. those are, those are hard to play. And even if you're actually good at it, which some people seem to be, um, it's still challenging and it's still not comfortable to play that way. So anything that kind of tries to mimic a traditional controller, which was what a lot of those early games were. Mm-hmm. So like, like I was saying, Mega Man two that came out and it was ghosts and goblins. I can't imagine trying to play they those were on tough. a touchscreen. I, I actually, I, I, I can deal with a lot. It was, I didn't find it so bad, but mm-hmm. it definitely is hard. And if you gave me a choice, I would take the control pad anyway, any day over right. a D pad on, on a screen for sure. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Frankie, right. Frankie also goes on to say, tapping and swiping are really all you need now. Because I think developers really have evolved to the point where, you know, they've gotten an idea of what works better. And yeah. I can point out, I can point to a game I mentioned earlier, Pac-Man 256. I play that on the iPad using swipe controls, and it's really no problem at all you for me. Who would ever think Pac-Man would work great without uh, a joystick? Unbelievably, yeah. all I have to do is kind of nudge it in the direction I want to move in, uh-huh. and, it, and it really does work. And you're in the top 100 of all time in the world That's not in true. that game. I'm not top, top 100. What are you, top 500? Top 500, maybe, or yeah, something? Well, it's still impressive. There's a couple of million people who've downloaded that well, game. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to... I actually do mean to pick up the console version that's come out yeah. recently to see how that holds up. It, mm-hmm. it does add some new stuff, but I, I'm really comfortable playing it as is. Um, so yeah, that's true. Uh, so yeah, thanks for asking this question, Greg. It's really actually, uh, I think it's interesting. a valid question. It's good that, you know, he does the SNES podcast mm-hmm. and, um, you know, definitely it's, it's a great question. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know like what other people think. I, I know there's a lot of it's weird. It's it's uh, I never saw it this way, but apparently like there there was quite a bit. A lot of people like especially in the retro community and also um, even in the, like the hardcore console people uh, they they hate mobile games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't get it because there's a lot of overlap to me in, in it. And uh, yeah, well so. there is there's definitely a perception that these games are all. Uh, microtransaction based and are all based yeah, on yeah. being being free and then figuring out a way for you to spend money on them right so it's not always the case yeah, i think yeah. i think a lot of times a lot of the free games that that we get mm-hmm. are older games from a publisher that will release their games as free in order to promote their latest release which is you know 299 or 399 or something sure mm-hmm. you know so they'll often give away their their older stuff just to generate some buzz and some attention um, but yeah, it's, 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 um, still a very vibrant sort of ecosystem. And I guess the other thing I would point out is there's a lot of interesting games on there that are kind of unique to that OS, like iOS and Android is the only place you can get some of these games and they're worthwhile games. And I would say, you know, check it out if you can. It does take some, some resources to really find the right ones. So yeah, I've, I've been noticing that a lot of these Mobile games are being ported now to Steam, P, uh, PS4, and also 3DS. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah. A lot and of vice versa, too. There's some that are working their way around. Mm-hmm. A lot of developers are actually releasing on Steam first. Right. To just to get rid of that mobile games like um like stigma that's attached, <laughs> you know. But it's the same game and then it comes out on iOS like 2 weeks later and then it's uh for some reason. You yeah. Know? Well, I think I, I I guess the cut is better too maybe. Maybe maybe the economics of it is a little better for them. Um, but who knows. I yeah, I don't know. Could be. Yeah. So we did have a little more feedback on our last episode uh where I played uh, Apocalypse? Apocalypse. On yeah. the PlayStation. Yeah, Greg Izzy wrote in, from also from the Digital Press Podcast. He said, gotta talk about Apocalypse. Firstly, he had to point out that it wasn't Bruce in Die Hard, Bruce Willis in Die Hard Arcade or Trilogy, in, in Die Hard Trilogy, which I thought mm-hmm. that was his voice. He says, uh, he did the voice of an Apocalypse and of the Fifth Element game, which is atrocious, <laughs> both released in 1998. He probably said they probably did both in the same session with him, and uh, yeah. So I didn't know. I didn't know that. I, I researched, and apparently in that Die Hard trilogy game, uh, Samuel Jackson's voice was also done by someone else. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny they did that. Yeah, I would, I would think that. Yeah, I would think they would just use voice samples from the movie, but that's what I thought. Um, but I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so he also said that. He tried to run the game on an emulator, Apocalypse, and the load times were awful. He said the uh, a nearly continuous voice samples playing, so um, he couldn't play it until he finally bought a PS1, and then he found out that it's a really fun game. Mm. I'm so. curious if he played it, uh, if he tried playing it off of the disc, because I know some emulators have this option where you know you can put the PlayStation game in your optical, in your DVD drive on your PC. And you run it, and you're basically running it off of the, the you know, oh, the directly so, off the optical disc. Yeah. Um, that's typically not how I play my games. Usually I just play off of an ISO. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, even if I own the original game, I'll rip a copy onto the hard drive because it's near instant load speed. Yes, because you did play uh, on the emulator, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, we did watch some YouTube clips of it, too, uh-huh. with that, that I think were not emulated cause, just because the video quality wasn't good on the YouTube okay. clip. And that, um, did that look any different than what you played? Um, I don't know. I didn't really... Did you notice anything? I didn't notice anything too drastically different, but... I mean, it looked fine to me, but I don't... I mean, I haven't played it since that game came out, so... Yeah, I, I can't know. say I encountered any problems playing it mm. the way I did, but... Uh, it's definitely an interesting way to do it. I would recommend definitely ripping the game if that's uh, if you do encounter any kind of slowdown or you know bad load times or anything like that. Hmm. And I guess we also had a comment. Uh, we were uh, actually uh, Ferg from the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Game by Game podcast was nice enough to share our post and um, got a comment on that post as well from someone named Alex Burr who said Apocalypse is surprisingly fun. It's like Smash TV with a real plot, and it moves along. He mentions the developer of the game, uh, which is actually Neversoft, uh, talking about using, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Willis as the model for the kind of the prototype or the demo for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, their, mm. their, the game they went on to do. 
Uh, I wonder if that's true. Uh, you think that's you think that's accurate? I'm gonna have to look for some like test yeah, footage or something. I've never heard of that, but it's possible. I know they did Spider Man, and then he later became a playable character. Oh yeah, yeah. There was um, I think it was like unlockable video clips of like a guy in his. I think it was Tony Hawk in a Spider Man costume. Really? Yeah. So they had the they had Tony Hawk's head on like a spider suit. <laughs> Uh, no, they had him, like, actual, like, full motion video of him in the costume doing, like, these tricks. I think it was him doing the tricks. That's funny. Yeah, and then they, I think they later put him in the game as a playable character, or he had to unlock it or something. But, uh, yeah, I'd never heard that before, but that's pretty interesting. I'd be curious to see if if, if some (laughs) video exists of that. Tony Hawk Skater and Bruce Willis are things I would never put together. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did they ever make a moonlighting video game? Oh, God. Not that I know or know, know of at all. Civil Shepherd polygon character. Unnecessary. <laughs> I say that's not going to get past the concept stage. <laughs> I uh, will not fund this They this made project. X-Files, so why not? All right, well, I can I can see that. I mean, Fifth Element. I don't know why they did that for. There's CSI games. Why yeah. not? Well, we can go on all day with bad <laughs> ports of... TV shows. Right. Mur- was there a Murder, She Wrote? I bet there was a PC Murder, She Wrote game. I, I wouldn't doubt it. That's That makes sense. That would be a game. I know there's Agatha Christie games. Yes. So, so yes. perhaps. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've reached the end of this particular yeah, train. full two hours. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> thanks again for listening. Uh, please visit us on Facebook. We're also on the Gmail if you prefer to send us an email instead at obbfeedback at gmail.com please check out the PlayStation Power podcast that Greg Pollander does as well his latest episode I see is all about Castlevania Chronicles another Castlevania game in the series so do check that out Uh, otherwise if there's nothing else we'll wrap it up here awesome see you later